Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore in the games of Blizzard Entertainment. I'm Ann Stickney, one of two lore-focused writers from Blizzard Watch, and I have both of my wonderful co-hosts with me today. They're both back. Hey, Rossi, how's it going? We missed you last uh, time. Can I? Why are we even bothering? Nothing happened this week. Can't we just go home? No. I don't see anything. There's nothing to talk about. <laughs> no. No. We actually have uh, so many questions this week, you wouldn't believe it. I believe it. I'm just... <laughs> This is this is Rossi trying to punish me for my comments in 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 collaboration with Adam about Diablo. That's all. Okay, whatever. Anyway, um, speaking of which, because he's already piped up, we've got our other co-host with us today, and that would be Joe Perez. Hey, Joe. Well, hey there. You're coming in from remote, which is why your microphone sounds a little bit different. In case people were wondering. Yes, yeah, so I do apologize, folks, but uh, no, you had to put him fine. on Kulturas. He's in Kulturas. I'm totally in Kulturas reporting live. <laughs> How many sea monsters have you run into so far today? It's a light day, only four. Oh, okay. Well, that's good. <laughs> they, all so... use, they all look like lurker from below, though, so I don't know. <laughs> so, um, speaking of Colteris and um, everything else, hey, guys, guess what? BlizzCon 2017 just happened. That was big. Um, there was... A lot of stuff went down. A lot of stuff was announced. Um, I am dying to dive into anything and everything related to Moira and finding out more about her in Overwatch. But that's not what we're going to talk about today. Because <laughs> we're going to talk about the new expansion that was announced. Uh, Battle for Azeroth. And Battle for Azeroth, thus far, doesn't appear to be focused on any of the things that we may have speculated about in the past. Um, it has been mentioned that Ashara will show up at some point. There was some beautiful concept of art of her, which I was very excited about. But um, mostly what we're looking at here is it's going to be the factions in full-out war with all kinds of chaos going down and the opening sequence to it that everybody's going to play through, much like the Assault on the Broken Shore, is a uh, uh, well, it's like Battle for the Undercity Round 2, except that um, it's not a coup from within. It's just the Alliance is attacking the Undercity and would like to destroy it. And the Horde is trying to defend the Undercity because they would like it not destroyed. Um, also, Teldrassil is on fire? What? Okay. So yeah, Battle for Azeroth happened. Um, it was announced. And these two factions are now at full-on war with each other, which is... Well, it's not anywhere where we thought it was going to go. However, some of the places that we predicted are actually going to show up. Kulteris is going to be a thing, finally. I'm very excited about this. It is not an um, island that has been transformed into a giant ship. It's just an island. Uh, Zandalar, we're also going to get to travel to, which is great. Um, and it's kind of like the center of troll culture and looks really amazing. So there's these two new zones and then there's a whole bunch of other stuff coming in the form of war fronts and also island exploration. The return of something that looks very much like three person scenarios and I am so jazzed about that. Um, three, three person role agnostic scenarios. Yep. Exactly. It's just like scenarios from Miss of Pandaria. This is why I'm really excited. <laughs> So uh, we um, we have all of that. We have a lot of story. Jaina is back. She is in Colteris. Her mom is there. Who saw that coming? I did not. I didn't even know her mom was alive or what her name was or anything about her. So uh, yeah, we have a lot of new lore that was introduced. And we've gotten a lot of questions from people regarding the reveals and everything that's been going on in BlizzCon. It is a substantial list. So what I would like to do is go through this list of questions and answer those. And while we're answering them, we'll also talk about lore because that's what we do. Sound good to you guys? Yes, let's do it's, this thing. It's what we do. All right, buckle up. This is going to get rocky, probably. <laughs> okay, first question is from Straylight, who says, In the Steve Burke interview, and this was game designer Steve Burke. We interviewed him yesterday. The interview is up on the website. In the interview, he says, We are retiring the artifact weapons in a very epic way that we think everyone will be very happy with. Now that we have some more context on what the next expansion is going to be, do you have any more predictions or solid guesses as to what that send-off might be? And again, that was from Starlight. Um, so we do know that artifacts are not moving forward with us. What do you guys think is going to happen to them? Uh, 
some of this is based on spoiler information, so I'm not going to go into too many specifics so I don't actually spoil you. But pay attention to the last encounter in Antorus. Okay. That's what I'll say. Okay. Um, Joe, do you have any kind of predictions, wild predictions or anything? I mean, we've been pumping power into these things for so long that, I mean, we're going to have to probably expend them in a very uh, power-intensive manner. So I, I think uh, what Rossi says is pretty sufficient. Like, I think I think we all know, at least or at least have a good idea where we're going to wind up burning them up. I I don't know about you, but I'm at, like, artifact level 69. Nice. And um, I think the next level I have to pump something like 50 or 60 billion artifact power into my weapon to get it even further so we've been putting colossal amounts of power in these things they are ridiculously powerful far more powerful than probably any one weapon should rightfully be um the only thing you know i don't mind that we're giving them a send-off right i don't mind that we're we're using them for whatever intended purpose whatever that happens to be I don't mind that, you know, there's going to be some kind of glorious finish with our artifact weapons. What I do mind in kind of a sad, wistful kind of way is that it means that artifact weapons like, oh, I don't know, the Ashbringer are are going to be gone for good in theory. Or do you think we're going to stick them in a museum? I don't know. What do you guys think? Are they going to be destroyed? I think 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 that might be part of it, right? Like, I think that maybe not destroyed but we may burn the power out of them that we've put into it and one thing i do notice or do know from all the previous expansions is that anything that was of significant note we tend to keep in one fashion or another whether it's a burnt out husk or or something that we we sort of put on a mantle as a hey remember this thing we did it was really epic we should kind of keep this up and and some kind of of display or statue or commemorative something and now the thing is, too, and I could see this sort of playing into the next expansion a little bit where everything is very faction focused. Well, if your faction has a new center where they're like, you know, remembering all the great deeds that they did or they need that sort of morale boost, I could totally see maybe all of the artifacts on display there as like a Hall of Heroes type thing. What do you think, Rossi? I don't know, because they've talked about how you're going to still be able to use them for transmog. For uh-huh. me, for me, it's like it's like you've you have this weapon like you have this weapon you've spent all this time pumping all this power into this weapon you've carried it throughout the expansion you've hopefully vanquished the burning legion with it or at least you know got rid of them for the time being quote unquote and then at the end of all of that it's like what do you what do you get from it do you get like i don't know do you get i wielded the ashbringer and all i got was this lousy t-shirt or like do we get a souvenir is there See- I've been thinking about one of the things I've been thinking about in terms of the artifacts for a while now is some of the artifacts. I mean, I love my my warrior artifacts. I really do. I think they're really cool. But before this expansion, I'd never heard of one of them. But the Ashbringer. But now you love them, though, right? Yeah, but yeah, but the Ashbringer is the Ashbringer. And then the size of a loon is the size, the of, size a of a loon. Like there's there's a yeah. few weapons there's... in there where it's like. Oh, like fellow Malorn, there's there's a few weapons in there that are just like, wow, we're getting like rid the of Ashbringer, that. The Ashbringer, fellow Malorn, the Scythe of a Loon, the Doomhammer. I mean, yeah, even, even the even the scepter, even the scepter of Azara, like it has significance. Like that that's one of the problems that we come up come up against with this particular thing, is that all of the artifacts that we've have have significance in the story to either the current world, previous story, or npcs that we're going to be interacting with again yeah but right? it's as much as like a lot of them like the fist of Raden is extremely cool yeah has, oh yeah it's got a, a great story the lore of you know he used this to help make the elemental planes or uh there's the uh staff the alumeth the uh the mage staff the one that talks to you and it's basically really snarky and and you know full of itself that's all you know like the the, the shadow priest dagger that's pure evil and it's like, yeah <laughs> yeah um but it's like I'm my warrior's sword, the one uh, I can't remember the name off the top of my head right now because I'm I'm tired too. Uh, the two hander from uh, Stromgard. Stromkar. Oh, I thought we were just going to say Ashkandi again. Oh, no, Stromkar. No, Ashkandi's not actually. Stromkar. No. Stromkar's also got a lot of history in it, though. Strom. Not only does it have a lot of history, it is the foundation sword yeah. of the first human kingdom, and it makes trolls run away in terror when I brandish it. 
So I get why they don't want me to use it. I was talking to my wife about that. She's like, does it make the trolls in Xandalar run away? I'm like, it probably make, it just makes them angry. You, have, you end up having to get rid of it because just every troll tries to murder you constantly until you do. Uh, but I don't think the like, Xandalar ever had to um, deal with Strom. And I think if a Zandalar... They run away from me all the time when I take it to the thro- Throne of Thunder, and that's Xandalar. Yeah, but that's a different... Mm-hmm. I guess. Okay. Hey, the low, the lower talk, man. I'm just saying. like They, they talk. But at any rate, just all these weapons, I, I honestly don't think they're going to be destroyed. Because can you imagine the player outcry if we if they destroyed oh, yeah. Ashbringer? Burning and the energy it just makes is one me thing. like Destroying like the thought other. the thought of doing that just makes me a little sad because I'm like these are weapons that I mean they're entrenched in Warcraft lore. I mean they really are. They're entrenched in Warcraft lore, and they're oh, yeah, and how part many of it in a significant spend, how much way. Time recovering, but right? then but then beyond that, beyond that whole oh it's this really you know powerhouse part of Warcraft lore is just like nostalgia maybe sheer nostalgia factor because i remember in vanilla everybody trying to find ashbringer there was like this long hunt where people were convinced that if they looked long enough and hard enough they could find ashbringer and there was this whole community thing built around it where people were trying to uncover the secret of the ashbringer and then when the corrupted one finally showed up in naxxramas everybody just lost it they thought it was fantastic i gotta tell a story about that um, real fast uh, when when the corrupted Ashbringer dropped, we had various people in our guild talking about getting it, like you know, uh, paladins and warriors and so forth, talking about oh, who's going to get the uh, the corrupted Ashbringer. When it dropped, our hunter lead, who had more DKP than anyone because he, there was nothing from to spend it on, he was always like waiting till everybody else got their stuff to spend his DKP. Oh no, he he, he spent literally, I think like two thousand DKP to get it. Oh he completely, no! He 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 spent all of it to get the corrupted Ashbringer, and they were all everyone's jaws were on the floor as this hunter just bought the most powerful melee weapon, you know, outside of the one that that dropped off of Kel'Thuzad. Hey, and we were in nowhere. vanilla, everything was a hunter yeah. weapon. Yeah, this actually was, you know, to a certain degree. I mean, he knew full well what he was doing. Uh, he was like, "Nope, sorry, I gotta have this." I, I'm and because he we, I'll give him credit for he then went to Scarlet Monastery with it and did the whole thing. And that was really great, but yeah, that weapon it was that it was he knew full well what he was doing, but it was the Ashbringer. You know what I mean? This was a guy who was never that guy. He was never the hunter who took stuff you know that other people could could make better use of, but it was the Ashbringer. So he went for it. Um, getting rid of the Ashbringer feels strange to me. Like the idea of a paladin. Okay, I was using the Ashbringer for a while, but now I'm going to use um, this green sword of the boar that dropped because it's got higher. De- it's just weird. Man, something, it's weird. something, something of the whale. Yeah, um, you know the um, spirit I don't know. stam need both the of those things. Culturon mace of the of the you know whale or something. Yeah, but the idea of expending the power of a of a super you know important artifact or, or piece of of lore in order to accomplish a goal is nothing foreign to us. Like look at the dragon soul, right? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Know. It's just that. So, I don't think that we had as much of a personal connection with the Dragon Soul, whereas these weapons, we've been carting them around this whole expansion. Oh, sure. Sure. But I mean, like, that, and that's why I'm saying, like, I, I can totally see us, you know, using the power that we've put into them sort of like a a, a, a artifact power savings account. Right? It's going to be hilarious when I get to give, when you have to give Valeria back her bow. Um, Valeria, sorry. It's, it's still here. Uh, it's in one piece. I had to burn out all the all the stuff I put in it, but you know, hey, you didn't need it bedazzled anyway. So here, here's your here's your bow. You got a new one, right? Like you you don't need this anymore, but you know it's okay. I'm still maintaining they belong in a museum. They the belong nice. in a museum. I think they should go in a museum somewhere. All of them. See, I'm, and, I'm and hoping I'm, we don't okay just wipe that. them out entirely. Okay, and I'd be okay with that. I'd be okay with a Hall of Heroes scenario for the weapons. They've earned it. Okay, so next we have a series of questions from. I'm hoping I'm pronouncing this correct correctly. Left Left Herios, who first question says, "Is there any hint in what the timeline of faction attacks will be already?" Now, here's what we're talking about in terms of faction attacks. Remember when I said that Teldrassil is literally on fire? Okay, so Teldrassil is literally on fire. There was a slide that showed it. It was really dis- disturbing, and um, we do know that there is going to be a battle going down for Lordaeron. Um, and that's going to be the opening sequence. What we don't know is we don't know which one of these happened first. Like, is Lordaeron retaliation for Teldrassil? Is Teldrassil retaliation for Lordaeron? Which one is it? Um, so 
do you guys I don't think that there was any hints really. I think they were deliberately vague. Afrasiabi actually even said they weren't going to tell us. Uh-huh. Yeah, the only hint straight up, the only he straight hint up said have... he straight up said, Did this happen? Did Darnassus burn because of the Lordaeron attack? Or did they attack Lordaeron because of Darnassus? We're not saying yet. Yeah, okay. and that that's the thing. The only thing we have any hints of is is the spoiled epilogue for Christy Golden's new book. The prologue. Which, the prologue, sorry. Um that's the only hint I think we have right now. They've been very, very tight-lipped about everything else. And for people wondering what that is, um, Christy Golden's next novel, um, Before the Storm, in the BlizzCon 2017 goodie bags, there was an excerpt from the book. It was just the prologue for the book. And it has Nathanos and Sylvanas talking to each other. They're talking about a new faction, like council type thing, that has risen up in the Undercity in Sylvanas's absence. And they aren't too keen on that whole immortality thing that she's chasing, apparently, which is interesting in and of itself. Um, but at the end of it all, Sylvanas says, we need our armies and you know what we need them for, Stormwind. So the clear intention there is that Sylvanas wants to attack Stormwind for some reason. Don't know why, assuming that'll come up in the novel. The novel's due out in May. I'm very excited about this because I need to know what happens here. What the heck? I guess if you put those three pieces together, it feels like Maybe she tried to attack Stormwind. They went after Undercity in like response to that. Since they took her capital away, she decided to torch Teldrassil. But it could be the other way around, too. It could be... I don't know. Well, there's another piece of information, too. And this is, I mean, slight spoiler-ish. Um, and, and I don't know, again, because this is all, you know, BlizzCon Wait, spoiler-ish for about. what? Like, it, it's not a hard line, but they were talking about... Wait, were they talking yeah, about this in a panel? They, I believe they were about the continents. Okay, they can. we can talk about... If they talked about it at BlizzCon, we can yes. talk about it. If it's anything having to do with, like, raid content that hasn't come no, out no, no, yet, no, no, let's no, no, avoid no, no. that, but... No, this is, this is... They were talking at BlizzCon specifically about the continents becoming very uh, faction-specific. And so everything we're seeing feed into this is is very, you know, the the war is, is very clearly like the, the burning of Darnassus. Well, that would make sense to try to make the Night Elves go to the Eastern Kingdoms, right? Whereas you have the Undercity in the Eastern Kingdoms and sacking that forces them over to Kalimdor, which where in the, the prologue excerpt, Sylvanas has been spending way more time in Orgrimmar, if anywhere, then she has Undercity anyway, so it sort of feeds into that as well. So it, I find it really interesting that they're showing us slides that sort of reinforce this where... There is a specific know, slide where they show, they literally start on a picture of of Kalimdor, and they have Darnassus flame up, yeah. and then they have the whole continent red, uh, which means that the Night Elves didn't just get knocked out of, Darnass- of Teldrassil, they also oh, lost Faralos and Ashenvale and everything. Right. Um, and then the the as the map goes over the eastern kingdoms uh the, the, let's just say it the, the horde loses at lordaeron lordaeron is gone it has to there be is, in order they, for no no it's yeah. not just they has to be they said at panels it's gone it's this gone. is out of their mouths they and lose Teldrassil is um, gone the things Teldrassil that they did is gone the horde is gone the, the lordaeron's gone and the reason that they even said this in, in the thing about stromgard the reason that the alliance doesn't try and just live in lordaeron is because the Draenei and the Blood Elves are still in their places. Yeah, and that's what I was going to say. That's the only thing that they haven't that, that they, yeah, no, that we they haven't, haven't resolved yet. They right? straight up addressed that. They even said, "No, they're still there." the uh, The reason that the Alliance doesn't just take over Lordaeron is it isn't defensible with with uh, Quel'Thalas right there. Okay, but let Joe finish what he was saying. Yeah, okay. I was Joe. just going to say that, that that's the that's the only outlier for each is the the. Blood Elves in, in Silvermoon, and then you have the Exodar and the Draenei, where they're sort of their only holdouts. They're the only places, which is interesting to me that they wouldn't... And I'm wondering if that's going to play into the story later on, where maybe there's there an has, assault on those, right? You know, there's been conflicting reports on that, because I actually, um, when Dan was going to go do this interview, I told him to ask that very specifically, whether or not we would see anything in Silvermoon or the Exodar to reflect what was going on just beyond the borders. Well, I'm kind of curious about that as well, because story-wise, there are certain things that could make sense. Like, with Silvermoon, if 
Alaria comes back and brings back a whole bunch of, uh, you know, void elves with her and says, we're taking this back. This is ours. Get the heck out. I could totally see that. And with Lightforged, I could totally see them saying, well, we have this awesome ship. We can just relocate anywhere. All right. Well, the Exodar's, you know, been tainted. It's been invaded. It's been whatever. Let's just kind of leave it be and kind of let's move relocate away. and regroup. Yeah, because because now they can, right? Like I could totally see that sort of working out. I'm just curious how long it's going to take. I just and don't if there's see, going to be in-game events for it. I don't see in any circumstance. I don't see the Blood Elves abandoning the Sunwell. I don't think it's going to happen. Um, abandon would be strong. I don't think abandon would be. I necessarily honestly think. Right. I think one of the things to keep in mind though is that what we don't know yet is. We haven't talked about the allied races. No, that's going to be the next question. We'll get into we, that. We, we do kind of need to talk about it now well, because what we're talking about needs to move to that then. So okay, I think well, then let's, we move on to the next question. Yeah, then, right? let's move well, on. Okay, second question. Do the capital cities fall before or after the new races join the Alliance or the Horde? Does it make a difference for you? Um, the questions to make them join is max level content. I guess the question is, do you have to be max level to make them join you? The answer to I, that is yes. We know that, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't... I mean, I'm assuming that the capital cities fall before because, obviously, this whole Lordaeron thing is the introductory thing for the expansion. Yeah, it's the starting bit. So, yeah, they, they fall before. Okay. And it would make sense, too, though, that, that the capital cities would have to fall because it would be a great point of leverage when approaching those races, too. Like, if... I mean, let's say the Blood Elves get displaced for whatever reason uh, from where they are... I feel the Nightborn would really sort of sympathize with that as well. Just like it, it would be sort of the same thing as when the the Blood Elves were sympathizing with or empathizing really with uh, the Nightborn about their addiction. Like it, it sort of strengthens that bond if that happens, right? Or, you know, the same thing with the Lightforged. If the Draenei get pushed out of where they are for whatever reason and the Alliance takes them in and shelters them in, then it's one of those things where it's very easy to go to the, the Army of Light and say, look, these are the people that you are basically born from. You know, you may be reconstituted or, or reshaped, but this is still your people. We're taking them in. Look what happened to, to the remnants of your people. Why don't you come help us with that? I can totally see that playing out. Now, keep in mind, too, with the allied races, from what we've gathered, what was given to us at BlizzCon, each of the allied races, there will be a series of quests and challenges that you undertake that kind of tell the story of how you're convincing these people to join, apparently. And at the end of that, it un- they will join you. It also unlocks the ability for you to play one of these allied races, like you can roll one of these allied races. You start at level 20 with them. Um, but you don't get them at max level. You have to actually like level them up. Um, and let's see here. We had on the horde, we've got the Nightborn, the Zandalar, the High Mountain, correct? Yep. Yes. Which I, I really hope I can race change into a High Mountain once I'm, once I've <laughs> unlocked them because Loader needs antlers. They, they haven't, they haven't specified that one way or another. You know, um, they did. They did. did they? Sayabi did. Okay. Yeah, after Sayabi and, uh. And uh, Hazakosta said, "Yet yeah, they will allow race change once you've unlocked them because they don't want people to feel penalized." Okay. No, they they are going to do that. But you do have to unlock them first. You, you have, have to, to go unlock through the quest them first. Chain. Yes. On the yeah. alliance side, on the alliance side, we have the Lightforged Renai, which we knew about. We have the Void Elves, which we knew about, and then we also what's the third one? Dark, Dark Iron, Iron Dwarves. Dwarves. The Dark Iron Dwarves. Now, keep in mind, too, that these six races that are being added initially, these are the ones that are coming with patch 8.0. Um, the implication here seems to be that they are going to add more allied races as the expansion goes along. So if you can think of an allied race that should be on that list that's not, the potential is there that, yes, they will show up eventually, um, which Ian I think is say... pretty fascinating, honestly. Yeah, Ian didn't say if they were going to do it this expansion or not but he definitely said this was something they were going to do that they yeah. were going to have more allied races i don't he, he he very deliberately never said didn't say in this expansion like but he did say it well and that's that goes back to some of the art panels too that they were talking about later on where a lot of this and, and as players we have to understand that while we've been begging for these for years Wildhammer, um that it takes time it takes effort it takes rigging too because it's not just skin swaps at this point anymore it's not just swapping some polygons everything goes deeper because now you have to worry about the interaction between 
all the armor sets and those new skins that you just created. Uh, a great example of this is during one of the panels I talked about hats um, because there's a ton of, you know, Kaltiris hats in the world. And one of the questions was, is it going to, you know, be compatible with every hairstyle? And the answer is, well, we'd like to, but it it's a lot harder than you think. And that's just a hat with hairstyle. Yeah, so with now the... you start going with armor with new body types and new skins and everything else, it becomes more complicated. So, I really like the idea that they made a commitment to saying that we'd like to do more with this later on. And the fact that we're getting six fully rigged, fully animated, fully interactable, you know, races at 8.0 launch is huge. They did, however, cheat a little. Let's not get sure. crazy. They I, did the... use elves and Torrin and trolls and dwarves and Draenei. So these are all they're close. It, it wasn't as much work. as Well, it was I mean, and this is where I would say if you haven't listened to our conversation with with Jesse, on the last one, we talk about this a little bit too, where even some of those that have been there, yes, they're in the game, but they have certain interactions. Like Nightborn can't wear armor currently. No, no, I, that, I'm not like, talking like about. That. I know all that. I just, I'm just saying, it's smart of them to to not Let's try and throw. Ones, right, don't yeah. throw in saber on right away, for God's sake. You know, at least go with an elf. I think what I appreciate about this, the whole allied races thing, it has nothing to do with the gameplay part because I mean yes the gameplay part is cool and everything but this is the lore show <laughs> what I appreciate is that they're giving us lore like they're giving these oh, people yeah. reasons to join and we have to actually like go out there and it's not just an automatic oh hey new expansion by the way these guys have decided to sign up no we need to go make them it we makes need it to feel go convince like a living them. world yeah we need to go convince them that this is a worthwhile thing to do and I really appreciate that and I appreciate that in terms of, oh, this is more endgame story that we'll get. Because this is all stuff that's going to come once we hit 120. So I'm kind of excited about it, honestly, in a way. Um, going back to Eleftheros's question here, though. Um, whether or not the capital cities befall before or after the allied races join the, the alliance and the horde. Um, obviously, we've kind of determined that it's going to be after this, this is, you know, the capital cities are going to do their thing. And then after that, at some point in the nebulous future, we will convince these guys to join. But does that make a difference for you guys that we're doing this after this disastrous event thing instead of before the disastrous event? I think it makes more sense to do it after because story-wise, if you think about it, it's after a catastrophe that you try to find more people to help you with what you're you're dealing with right you try to find allies to help you and so with the capital cities burning or or the strongholds being under assault or having fallen whatever the case is it makes sense to reach out like okay well we just got our butts handed to us we need help who do we know we can call on hey remember that time we helped you with that magical addiction it's time to call on a favor like it makes more sense story-wise as opposed to beforehand trying to solidify these things because if the story is progressing the way we think it is, at the end of, of Legion, we're we're still fighting as one unified front. It's still Horde and Alliance working together towards one end. And then you look at certain leaders that are in place, like Anduin, who he's – for all of you saying he's a wimp, he's not. Um, but yes, he values peace. Can he we talk for a growth. minute? Can we just – mention for a minute exactly how badass Andwin came off in that trailer I mean I was actually I, people I was people were like making cracks and I was making them too so I went back and watched the trailer like mm -hmm. I and I watched it frame by frame uh in that trailer Anduin takes out two orcs in two shots yeah yeah oh yeah I mean, like that's the first thing you see him do uh, he takes out two orcs and two shots with a sword, mind you. He isn't, like, magic zapping them. He uses his father's sword and just boom, boom, takes two of them out, gets hit by Sorfang, and gets up. Like, he doesn't stay down. He gets up from being hit by Sorfang. Uh, also, again, Greymane beats Sorfang, by the way, and I need that to be mentioned. Gen is stronger than Sorfang. It's canon now. Uh, anyway. <laughs> Sorfang gets up. <clears throat> okay, continue. Yeah. He gets up after he gets healed. Um Anyway, but after Anduin does all that, we, we see the chaos of war. We see that, you know, Sylvanas has done an amazingly cool thing and blown up a siege tower and rallied the horde. And uh, Anduin's response to this is to basically heal the entire Alliance army. He pulls a mercy. He pulls a pre-nerf mercy. He does a mass res on the whole dang army. Well, I mean, it's it's it was canon and wow before mercy. I but yes. know, but still... <laughs> 
It's I actually mean, a lot the whole blowing than, bubble it, and it the sword. It is a lot cooler than it. just the mass res, though, because it's not just the mass res. He's also – it is this – one thing that I will give them amazing credit for, it is an amalgamation of priesthood abilities in that one scene. You have the, the giant barrier that like a disciplined priest would raise. You have this ring of healing, this healing nova that goes out, as well as this mass res all simultaneously. Like if that is not like – kick butt and chew bubblegum badass i don't know what to and say. when in that moment for me and when like fully transcended from that little boy with the generic model back in vanilla that was standing mm-hmm. in the throne room and got escorted out when the big dragon showed up to like this is a leader i mean well, he's all grown up and saving china well here's the other thing here's <laughs> Well, here's the other things that are important about that, too, to the note, that, that this sequence with him are all callbacks to things that have been happening with Anduin over the years, over the expansion. This is the culmination of his story. First of all, he's on the front line, somewhere he never would have been until recently. Second of all, he's he using his sword. He didn't want to be there, and he's he there now. Be, but he's there now. He, he's using a sword, the thing his father had him trained in routinely like getting him ready to defend himself you see the culmination of that you see the culmination of the harnessing and the call of the light like this is this is sort of like this big explosive point of his story so i gotta say anduin's armor oh god i want that helmet i want that helmet so badly so top notch what did they it's like my dad had a pretty elaborate set of armor oh don't worry man we've got we got that topped how would you like a gold and silver lion suit I, I guess I would like that. I never thought about this. It's going to be kind of heavy, isn't it? You're a hero class. It's fine. It's all good. <laughs> it's all good, kid. So, okay. Um, moving on from there, though, let's go ahead and go to the next question. It's a question about NPC age, Jaina slash Rathion, these two characters in particular. Um, I kind of want to talk about these two characters anyway, so this is good. Uh, the question says, do you consider their age depending on what their date of birth is or how they are written slash depicted in game and media? Because Rathian seems to be used as if he was at least as old as Anduin, while Jaina went from young and naive to old and jaded real fast. Um, um, I, I wouldn't like say real Jaina fast. Old. Yeah, jaded, yeah. sure. A- old, no. I wouldn't. I wouldn't call her old, but I would say jaded. Maybe I don't know oh, if yeah. I'd say jaded. Even I'd say well, jaded cynical. would be jaded, jaded would be. I don't cynical. care anymore. I don't care. She very much cares. Stern resolve. I think the kind of resolve that we haven't seen when she showed up when they showed her in the whole like announce and she like they had that moment where she stepped over and she looked like she was really tired and really kind of angry and just fed up with the world in general i'm like yeah i want to see more of that i want to see that jana i i need to i need to address her in a know your lore we'll get that we'll get to there we'll get there in like a couple of weeks here i will cover jana um to address the question specifically, though, like yeah, let's let's address I, that specifically. I'm more about how they're written in the moment than what their actual date of birth is, because you can write a character and have experiences that shape who you are more than your age, and this is true of real life as well in every other written media. So having them be more reactionary to the lives that they have led and the events that have unfolded upon them feels more realistic to me, feels more immersive to me in the story of the character and the lore that surrounds them versus, oh yeah, you're actually only 30 years old. Why are you acting like an 80-year-old person? Well, well one thing... Yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry, I just... The whole thing with Jaina is if you sat down and listed the events of Jaina's life in chronological order. It's no wonder she is where she is. Oh, yeah. Um, it's like <laughs> she was born three years before the first war. So she's younger than Anduin or Arthas. Um, in that time, she has been apprenticed to the. She's not uh, younger than head, Anduin. Not Anduin. Sorry, Varian. Varian. Yeah. Yeah. She's younger than Varian or Arthas. Um, but she, she's obviously much older than Anduin. Um, but in that time, she has been apprenticed to Antonidas. Uh, she's been hit on by the prince of the night of the blood elves when he wasn't a blood elf yet. Um, she's basically led it, uh, uh, an exodus away from the Eastern kingdoms to Kalimdor, watched her father die rather than help him because she was trying to broker peace and he wouldn't hear it. Um, led Theramore, watched her ex fiance die, um, after having helped oppose him throughout the, you know, it's just, you know, she was there 
for the third war. She's been there through all this. She's watched Varian die now. She's there's just so much. I'm not even like I didn't even get Aegwin in here. She had one of the, the she had one of the Guardians of Tearsfall as her Chamberlain. Like and then her city got blown up. I mean, it's just like I'm sitting here trying to put it all out and I can't. It just bottles up. She's she's lot. just been too much. She's been through too much. It's a lot. It's a lot for any one person to handle. And, and calling has... her to, calling her young and naive, I think, is disingenuous to the character, too. She Maybe. was never really naive. At, never. No. She no, was no. She young, was young and hopeful. Young, but sure, yes. Yeah. But that I was think, years ago. I think as far as Jaina is concerned, like I said, I want to write a know your lore about her because her story in particular has been a very lengthy one. And I'm glad that we're seeing her come back, and I'm glad that we're going to see some kind of resolution to her story. Um, moving on, though, Rathion. The reason Rathion acts the way he does, yeah, he's a dragon. That's the way he acts. We don't know how we don't know how dragons age. We don't we don't really know much about their uh, lifespan. We don't know how they work or operate. I mean, he's like what four now? I think probably in the timeline mm. four or five. But he That'd acts like that, yeah. he's Anduin's age because that's apparently where dragons are at. They're very smart creatures, I guess. When um, I was playing vanilla. There was a little blue dragon in UBRS. Yes. Who, sp- who basically sparked a, a, a mission. He was sent to UBRS as an agent, as a whelp. Yep. They send their whelps Obby. out. They're, yeah, Obby. Uh, the, the whelps do things. They're not, like, dragon whelps are not like, you know, okay, we're going to coddle and protect you. Intense, it's, right? Yeah. They can think and, and act. They're, and w- they're still, you know. We learned from Rathion, anyway, that, I mean, he detected things that were going on outside while he was still in his egg. So they're we still don't know a whole lot about 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 dragons is what it boils down to. Like we we know some things. We know what they've told us. I we don't know about Obi though, Rossi. I really did. I didn't remember him either until we were talking about this, and I'm like, wait, well, even, what about that dragon dragon? Even as recently as Legion, though, there's that there's a quest over in um oh, where the Withered are, where you're sent with a guide, and that guide happens to be a blue dragonflight whelp. Like oh, that's it's right. not over in like, uh, Azuna. And Zuna, like that whelp is showing you what to do, like, and it's talking to you. It's, it's, you know, or, or the, the quest where you have to destroy uh, the pylons, you're summoning whelps to do that. You're not summoning full grown dragons and those whelps, well, they, they know how to consume magic. They know how to do things. So like, while yes, we are, you know, we have several missions where we're trying to protect the whelps um, and we've had that sort of established we have more establishing that they are just once they're born, they are full active members of their flight and they are expected to perform duties like any other member. Those duties may be specific to what their capabilities are, but we don't know what their capabilities are. We, we sure as heck have proof that they're more powerful than we think they are. I want to take a minute here to point something out that came up last night. Um, obviously I wasn't at BlizzCon this year, so I didn't get any hands-on with anything. However, something came up from people that had played through the different experiences that were there. Apparently, and we're going to take this with a gigantic grain of salt because we all remember what High Mountain was in beta, but apparently in these demos, Rathion was in Stormwind. He didn't say anything. He had no dialogue. He was just in Stormwind with the collective group of Alliance people. He was not in Orgrimmar. So I don't know if this is a sign that maybe he has chosen his side. I mean, he chose a side kind of pretty much back in Missa Pandaria and then threw up his hands in frustration when we didn't follow through. But, um, Anne, Anne, yes. do you know what you just did? What? You just caused Archive of Our Own to crash as literally <laughs> millions of people tried to log on and begin writing their Anduin fanfics. So, thanks. It's all about the Randwin. No, um, so... We don't Did really you just make one aim up for it. The name has been it... there, Rossi. Where have you been? It, it, it has it's been Randwin really for a long been... time. Yes, Randwin. Anduthon or something. Okay, do not Google that, folks. Just do not Google that. Anyway, well, you might end up with some adorable artwork, but do not Google that. Anyway, so uh, yeah, apparently that happened in, like I said, the demo stations that they had on the show floor there at BlizzCon. Whether or not that's actually going to develop into anything, or whether he was just a placeholder that was placed there, or whether they did mean to put him in Orgrimmar, like they were going to put him in both cities, but they hadn't plopped him down in Orgrimmar yet, or whether he's just there temporarily and they're going to remove him, as they did with High Mountain last expansion. We don't know. But he had a presence, very briefly. 
and I was very happy to hear about it because he deserves to be in sense, the story here somewhere. Story-wise, it would make a potential amount of sense for him to to sort of, uh, I don't want to say split the flight, but if the High Mountain Torn are going to the Horde, we already have a uncorrupted black dragon that has aligned itself with the High Mountain. So we kind of already have a black dragon over there. I could totally see Rathian sort of going to the Alliance to maintain balance. Or maybe Rathian's like secretly working with Ebonhorn. Because Ebonhorn right. did say that he was going to go catch up with the family or whatever. Yeah. So maybe Rathian was like, okay, you go handle the Horde side of things. I got the Alliance side covered. And we'll meet up later and figure things out. And Ebonhorn was like, yeah, sounds like a plan. Okay. Because they Actually, are, after all, black dragons. Yep. I don't know. See, look at that. We're already building things that don't exist. So <laughs> let's go ahead and move on to the next question here. Next question is from Zaire Pally, who says... I'm not very excited for this big departure lore-wise from where we've been in Legion, in parentheses here. Class orders, halls appear to be gone, no more working together for the greater good, Legion races choosing sides, etc. From a lore perspective, can you see any way to justify this turn of events? For example, Sylvanas sees some advantage to burning Teldrassil, so the Horde do, and then the Alliance attack Undercity as retribution. Would even the burning of Teldrassil make Anduin turn on the Horde when the death of his father didn't? First off, they can. It's not that hard to come up with a lore perspective to justify this. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't even like this development, and I can justify it. Sure. Um, the horde and the horde and the night elves have been fighting for years. The night elves have been losing territory to the horde uh, throughout the entire history of World of Warcraft. Um, the horde finally just deciding we're going to burn Teldrassil and drive the elves out so we can cut down all the trees. That that's not hard to, to imagine. And I mean, and it's not like so. To, what yeah. Garrosh almost wanted. It's just continuing that agenda almost. Sylvanas is in a position in, if you read the uh, Before the Storm opening, Sylvanas is in a position in Orgrimmar where she's tentative. She doesn't really have control of them, and she doesn't, she even feels like she's losing control back home. So it, if that's how it went down, I could see her doing it uh, for a variety of reasons. But in terms of what Anduin, Anduin wanted peace, but the death of his father didn't make him turn on the horde because there were burning legion guys literally raining from the sky. It was not only that we don't know we don't know what he knows about his father's death, right? Like yeah, but, we don't know I mean, how much insight the light has given him. Even when Jaina was staying straight up, you know, we got no, we have to attack the horde. Anduin's objection wasn't the horde are my friends. His, it was Jaina. This isn't the time. Like, think about this. We have there are bigger fall. things to worry about here. Yeah, you know, and I'm not saying Edwin wants a war with the Horde. Or, you know, that's not what I'm saying. I don't know what his thoughts are yet. I haven't gotten to read the book yet, um, and I will as soon as it comes out. But that's not out yet. So, but the the entirety of the the interaction in Legion wasn't one of Anduin the peacemaker. It was Anduin the shell shocked young man who found himself thrust into a position he didn't even want younger than he expected to have to have it, and with a world-shaking catastrophe falling upon his shoulders at the same time. Anduin was trying to find his feet. And as Velen said, when he finds his feet, he'll be a great king. And Gen's response was, he needs to find them, find it now. You know, that's, that's what this is. To a degree, you know, you've got Gen right there saying, you know, let's attack the Horde, let's attack Undercity. You know, Undercity. I don't see, after, once the war's over... If the Horde actually did something like burn Teldrassil, yeah, I don't see Anduin hesitating. Well, he'd have to. He would. He would have to because they're members of the the Alliance that he's, you know, sworn to protect. That that these are that essentially kind of action, in effect his people. Yeah, that kind of action requires a really decisive response, an immediate decisive response. I and even I even to not go- to mention his closest his closest advisor is is Jen Greymane, who let's be honest. They sacked Teldrassil, where his people sought, you know, refuge. Yeah, I, I can guarantee you he's going to, we have to, we go to Anduin, we need to react. This is what happened. My people were in that place. We need to, we need to counterattack. I could totally see that happening because it would make sense for the character that has the most close counsel to Anduin of any of the others. I need to go back and I need to watch that trailer again because... It struck me in the moment the first time I watched it, and I didn't go back and watch the whole thing again um, because I had a million other things that I was doing this weekend. But as I was watching it, and 
and I was watching Anwin in particular and what he was doing out there on the battlefield. That moment where he's like sitting there and then the sword that he's holding, his father's sword, starts to glow with that light. Charlemagne, yeah. Yeah, my my whole thought on that, and as I'm like reading his face here, and I don't know if the cinematics team, I don't know what they go for when they go, I, I, they go they they go as far as they can to kick us in the guts and make us cry. Like that's what they do. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. And I'm pretty sure that half the cinematic team would back me up on that. They like the taste of our tears. But as I was watching it, I was just struck by this. I don't know. It's like, this is the one place and the one situation that Andwin never wanted to be in. And he was very much like Jaina in that he was kind of that proponent for peace. And he spent all that time telling his father look, maybe there's a better way. Maybe we can get along with these guys. I mean, even when he was a little kid, like the whole thing in the comics where they went to that whole diplomacy summit, the diplomatic summit, and uh, Thrall was there and Garrosh was there. It was Andwin who convinced his dad that, you know, maybe this is a good idea. Maybe you should listen to Aunt Jaina. Maybe, maybe, you know, everybody's got like the potential for this kind of thing. This is the guy that basically when Garrosh Hellscream crushed every bone in his body still managed to find a way to reach across and say, hey, this doesn't have to go down like in, this. In war crimes, yeah. In yeah. war crimes, he went and it's, he spoke to yeah. Garrosh and like had conversations with him. So in that moment, in, in the trailer there, it was like Anduin was... It, to me, it looked like he was almost having that kind of inner struggle of, okay, I have to choose. It's one or the other. And maybe I need to leave the one thing that I've been following. Maybe it's time to leave that behind. And it was almost like that, like the sword was glowing in response to that. And to me, and again, I was probably just reading this because like I said, it was just in the moment and I was all caught up in the moment. But it was like, it was almost like his dad was there telling him, look, it's going to be okay. And that's when he stood up and started kicking butt. And did the whole light show thing and all of that. And I was just like, aw, aw, I'm so proud of you. <laughs> we haven't really, I mean, the problem is, is that so much is going on and we only have an hour to talk about it. Yeah. But one of the things that, watching that cinematic and watching, you know, finding out the stuff in the panels, the thought that keeps running through my head is that in a lot of place, a lot of players are in the same position as Anduin, where they didn't really want this and they don't. They don't get the faction conflict. It's not their thing, but the horde isn't going to let it go ever. They're never going to stop. And you, you can really feel for him that, that, you know, yeah, he would like peace. He'd like there to be peace between the Alliance and the horde, but the horde sees that as weakness. They always say like the, so lots of lines, we've forgotten what makes us strong and what makes the horde strong is taking from other people. That's what you see in these, in this cinematic. That's what's going on when they, Get back, they get their second wind when she jumps down and blows up the tower. And, you know, Anduin would love to be the king who ruled with peace like his grandfather did for a long time. But he's never going to be that. The Rin kings don't get that. His grandfather didn't get to live that way. Lane died fighting the Horde. Oh, um, God, and now I'm remembering that whole yeah. short story between him and Varian. Yeah. There's, and in Varian, like, there was a really, I think there's a kind of touching symmetry here. In that, in battle for, like, you know, in the Siege of Orgrimmar, when Anne was like, Father, what, what are you doing? And he goes, what a king must do. And he tried to make peace. He actually reached out to them and said, you know, all right, this, we're going to leave. This doesn't have to be worse than it is. And now Anduin is, he's at the place where that, this is where you ended up from trying to do that. It was good that you Man, tried to do that. Do you remember what Varian said after that? Yeah, we will. If, if this fails, we will destroy you. If this ever happens again, we will end you or something along those lines. Yeah, we will, we, we will end you. Well, Varian's not here to do it, but his kid sure seems to be stepping up to the plate. Ooh. His, his kid who he tutored and, and, and parted his wisdom upon. Yeah, not, not terribly surprising. But it's, it is in a way it's – there's a – you called it bittersweet before. And it's, there's a pain when you hit that point in your life where you realize that, you know – you still have your ideals. They still matter to you. They're still meaningful. But sometimes you have to choose between what you'd like and the best you can do. And he'd love to be the peacemaker, but he has to be the king first. 
he has to protect he his has people. To protect people yep. and it's that, it's it's what you see that it's interesting is the, the the approach of the two main characters in the cinematic Savannah inspires through violent effective action she she uh, you know appeals to their rage she appeals to their rage you know she she shoots that tower and screams for the horde and gets them up and moving and they're angry and they're charging out and she is defending her city of course at this moment that's that's not to be ignored but anduin doesn't inspire he goes and does violent things like he turns a troll into paste there's a troll who hurts again hits again with uh lightning anduin pulverizes that guy if you watch the fight between him and the troll, he just pulverizes him. There's a scene where he pulls Charlemagne up, and when it comes down, there's an explosion, and that troll is broken. So Anduin does violent action, but that's not how he inspires people. He inspires people by putting the sword down and putting the shield up. And all those soldiers get up and pick up their swords their swords and spears and stand as one. And he even mm-hmm. doesn't even say that. Yeah, he says stand together. Like I said, there's a lot of character beats that I think we're going to have come back in this expansion that we've seen in the past that we're going to have Codas and Refains to. One of them is the fact that Sylvanas is apparently going full Banshee. Which made me very happy. And I mean, oh, that move that she did in the trailer where she just like vanished and then poof and then screamed for the whole. Oh, goosebumps. Dang. I also you... appreciate, and I said this before, I appreciate the fact that there's some cross-pollinization between game franchises here because a lot of the stuff she was doing is also some removes from Heroes of the Storm. But yeah, but in, in terms it of showcases her power. Thing, but not just that. Did you see the look on Sorfang's face when she did it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorfang was like, I don't know what just happened, but okay. And the fact that they finally put Sorfang in a trailer. Yes. I was that very made me happy happy. about that. Very happy well, about he's that. Well, he's the default. He's the default de facto leader of the orcs he better be in that trailer okay that poor guy so let's uh, we're running out of time i'm so sad okay uh i think we have time for one more question here so i want to take this one because this is also something that a lot of people have been talking about obviously the allied races are assigned with a particular faction this kind of addresses that uh this one's from kaz who says looking at the allied races I wish they were all bifactional, but I can construct some justification for most. Torin, Draenei, Trolls, and Dwarves, each aligning with the others of their race. And Alaria has always been alliance, so I get the Void Elves. It's the Nightborn that I'm most confused about. Why the Horde from a lore perspective? I know it's for a balance from a systems perspective, but it still needs some justification, doesn't it? As far as like the story is concerned. What do you uh, guys think? The there's, easy... There's, justification for it no there's there is justification for it sure um as much as i don't buy there's a lot of people arguing well toronto was mean to them i don't buy that but the fact is is that the night elves have zero sympathy for a bunch of magic addicts who once blew the planet up and then hid for ten thousand years and almost blew it up again you know think think of it from a societal standpoint like night elves just recently started having mages again like within the last few years because they didn't like them. They thought that that would cause destruction and death. And look at everything that may, may, magic has caused us over these 10,000 years. Yeah, I could totally see them not feeling welcome there. Yeah, and plus, I mean, there's also the, the fact that with the Blood Elves, the Blood Elves are like, yeah, we were the Highborn too. Like the Nightborn, we're the Highborn. Mm-hmm. The Blood Elves are like, you know, hey, we're your distant cousins. Whereas the, the Night Elves are like, yes, we recovered from the disease you spread among our people. I mean... Yes, the Night Elves look more like the Nightborn, but the Blood Elves act. And from a larger perspective here, though, I think you need to kind of take a step back and look at the Nightborn as a whole. It's not just the relationship that they have with the Night Elves as opposed to the Blood Elves. You're also looking at these guys were encapsulated for 10,000 years and they develop their own society and their own system and in a way they're kind of like that snapshot of old 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 world highborn society they're the last remnant of it it's just them and back during the war of the ancients it was made very clear with the end of that war that the highborn were not welcome period and the night elves took in the remnants of highborn society who decided they didn't they 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 couldn't get away with or from playing with magic and in response 
the night elves kicked him out and said, okay, no, you need to leave. Like they wanted nothing to do with them. So here we have this society that has been removed from everything else, like encapsulated in a bubble for 10,000 years. They have no idea what's going on in the outside world at all. And I guess what you have to look at there is who is welcoming in that situation? Who's going to welcome the last dregs of a society that almost pretty much died out? The Horde is thematically and has been thematically since Vanilla has always been the faction that takes in these outsiders and takes in these people that are isolated, takes in these people that are alone and gives them a home of sorts, a family of sorts. So thematically, I could see why they would lean more Horde. Um, And it's not just about that whole relationship with the Night Elves, although I think that does play into it. And and again, it's not just that, like, Toronto was mean to them. Look, Toronto was perfectly justified in everything that she said. And the Night Elves are perfectly justified in having any kind of reservation about these people because the Highborn and Ashara sparked a civil war that literally tore the world apart. They don't want to see that again. And well, as much as you think, oh, well, but the Nightborn are the good guys or whatever. No, they aren't. Because I don't know if you realize it or not, but that whole battle that we were fighting in Suramar was because, I don't know, half to three quarters of the city decided that allying with the Burning Legion was their best chance for survival. They were well, willing to do it again. They were willing to do what they had done in the War of the Ancients again. That's what the Calderai saw. That's what Tyrande saw. She's not going to want to take them back because who's who's to say they're not going to turn around and do something just as horrific down the road, you know? And, and, and to go even beyond that, if you want to look at if you want to look at anything that's not just a, a breakdown of the society, but you want an example of what's in game currently, and I have a feeling this plays a large part in it too. Go to our nice little floating ship in the sky over Argus right now, and take a look at who's talking with Oculus. Take a look who's spending time. Sit there for a couple minutes and listen to the dialogue. It's Leandrin who's sitting there talking with him, spending time away from the front to answer his questions where the other others aren't. They're not paying attention to him. They're not not answering his questions. She's not trying to convince him of anything either way. She's She's just answering his questions straight up. Exactly. She's just like, okay, you have these questions. I understand we were in your position. Let me help you transition into interacting with the world again. Let me let me help you. And 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 that's the thing. Like, and I got to give them credit for the way they characterized Lady Leandrin recently. Is that she's not coming across as like this is to make an ally later on down the road. This is you're an elf too. We we've gone through similar things. I'm going to help you because I remember how this feels. I remember what this is like. This was awful. You're just coming back from awful. Like, and it, it's sort of this touching moment where it, it fits her connection to the light, right? Like, it fits that connection of her being sort of that blood knight. Um, and and it, it characterizes her really, really well. But then you listen to that, and it makes perfect sense that Oculus would go back and say something like... Thagron, Thagron. Thagron, sorry. Uh, would, would say, here's everything that I've learned. Here's what I've seen. Here's my interactions with all of the races. And I'm not saying that, like, you know, Forsaken are nowhere to be seen, obviously. The Torn don't have anything really. The, the orcs don't have anything. The goblins don't have anything really to interact with them. But the blood elves did. And I think that makes a big difference. In, in Rossi, just, you, just my two cents. Rossi, do you have anything to add to that? No, I mean, I think, you know, I've like I've said, I play a, a night elf and I went and saved them. And then they basically did this to me, so I'm not happy with them. But that's, you know, everybody plays the character they play. So now the people aren't going to feel the same way. I do think it kind of, having both the High Mountain and the Nightborn go help the Horde after my Alliance character save both of them is real irritating lore-wise. It, it is not something I like. But yeah, I don't, I don't, it's perfectly justifiable in the game lore. There's no reason. Why wouldn't the High Mountain go join the rest of the Torrent? <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's like, you know, why, well, yeah, it's nice that you helped us, but that they're my people. And uh, as far as the Nightborn, the Nightborn weren't going to get a pretty, get much of a welcome from the, the Alliance. I just, I don't think that was ever going to happen. They were going, because. So, go ahead. No, I'm good. I'm done. Okay. I was going to, um, okay. 
I think we're going to call it on questions right there because we're kind of over our time here. But we'll go ahead and carry those forward into the next episode. I do have something that I want to bring up to the two of you, though, if you have a little bit of extra time. Let's go for it. Okay. So I'm just going to lay out my thoughts here because I haven't found a coherent way to actually phrase this as a question because, again, I'm very tired. Um we have this whole battle going on between Alliance and Horde and you know the Horde has Kalimdor Alliance has Eastern Kingdoms except for those two outliers up north there's the Exodar and there's Silvermoon and Quoth'alas. Um here's my question though are okay how allied to their factions are these two societies because when I think about it and I keep going back to the end of Burning Crusade the end of Burning Crusade, where it wasn't the Horde that came forward and helped the Blood Elves restore the Sunwell. It wasn't the Horde that, like, thought to do that. It was the Draenei. It was Valen that came forward with the Heart of Maru and said, this was all part of a plan, this was part of a prophecy, let me help you. And puts the Heart of Maru back into the Sunwell and essentially reignites it. And brings the light into what was once just an arcane font. Now it's arcane and there's also the light in there as well. Because again, this is like Naru power. Just like, you know, flowing through that thing. So in a way, it feels like the Blood Elves owe the Draenei something over over any kind of like faction imbalance or, you know, faction, factional fighting back and forth, whatever. The whole reason the Blood Elves went with the Horde was because the horde would take them in sylvanas showed up sylvanas showed up and said hi remember me i was dead but now i'm back and would you like to join the horde i can help facilitate that and we'll get you some allies because obviously you know the alliance has done nothing for you they tried to you know lock you up they took your prince they did all this other stuff so you know why not come join with our side and we saw that reflected a little bit though in Mr. Pandaria later because Lorthamar Theron for for a while there for for like a hot minute there he was thinking about dropping the horde entirely and reforging that connection with the alliance and obviously what went down there and uh, you know Jaina's retaliation for everything that went down there her justifiable retaliation for everything that went down there she kicked the blood elves out of Dalaran she had this whole purge thing go on and Lorthamar said you know what nope never mind we don't need you guys that's that's okay but I'm wondering these two like I said they're kind of like on, on the northern reaches of both of these continents that are in chaos and I can't help but think that their individual stories are going to have to come into play at some point because I can't see these two people going at each other's throats I mean even in warlords even in warlords when we went to when we went to old Dranor and we went out to Ockendown who was there the blood elves showed up they showed up to help the Draenei because it was kind of like repayment for everything that they'd given them were there any other horde characters in that area nope it was all blood elves so I don't is this something that you guys think that we're going to see reflected in battle for Azeroth because it feels like these two outliers there's got to be something going on here I don't know because we're gonna a lot going on that 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 it, uh, what you're bringing up is actually the basis of a lot of people have been calling for like a neutral faction which as much as i would love to see a third faction introduced to the game world which and i think it makes sense thematically i don't think it'll ever actually happen um but i have a feeling that what draws them in to the conflict uh, one uh, of which they would probably both rather stay out of because of where they are geographically located is that i think the conflict is going to come knocking to their doorstep in some capacity because I'm just wondering how they're going to answer it because Velen has never really Velen is not a proponent of petty battles that Velen has the big picture in mind but it's really weird because you've also got the light forged involved right right so how is that story going to play out well you have have the light forged and the void elves on the same side like yeah that's in of itself kind of weird uh there's there's something that really we don't have time for a really long answer here so I'll just say that getting to see how the Void Elves and Lightforge join the Alliance is important because it kind of informs as to what's going on here. Like, I agree. There's there's something strange about the idea of those two groups standing side by side in the Alliance. And are the Lightforge there because of Turalyon? Because that, I feel, almost feels like it would be there because of Turalyon more than because of Velen. Probably. 
You know what because, I mean? Because I mean, with 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 what we know, Velen's been to gone them, for however. Leader, yeah, right? Velen's been gone for however long. Turalyon, however, has been fighting with the Army of the Light for like a thousand years or whatever. Yeah. So there's, I I don't know. I need to see it before I can really. I'm trying. Like you, you were there for the 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 BlizzCon show where I was pretty salty. I've been trying since then to not be to to give the story time to happen and, and to to let it let myself see it before I judge. But I got to tell you, if Blizzard's goal was to make me, the player, hate the Horde as much as my Alliance characters, they have succeeded. They've actually, in a way, it's it's amazing. They have found a way to finally get me involved in this faction conflict. I want the Horde burned to the ground. And in a way, that's really impressive because I, I was Anduin. That's why I said you feel for Anduin because I was Anduin. I was the guy who actually wanted faction peace. And like Jaina and Anduin before me, now I'm not. So and, I feel like this is actually what they're doing in this expansion. So in a way, it's really successful. And, and I think, too, that our big I think the big reveal or the big thought on those is, like Rousey said, I think it's going to be down to the story of those allied races. And I think those are going to be sort of the defining story beats that dictate um, the justification, I guess, for how everything plays out. Because I think that the current races are going to play. They're not going to be completely free of the interactions and what happens with bringing those allied races in. And I think, I think that, you know, the other thing that's kind of spurring this curiosity in my mind regarding the Drenai and the blood elves in particular is that there was kind of conflicting reports. Like I said, we asked if the blood elves and the Drenai were going to be involved in the expansion and we were told no, but somebody else said, Oh, they might be. So it's kind of like a, back and forth here. We don't know what it is. However, that's going to wrap us up for the show. Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch and your continued support means as this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. And for the listeners of Blizzard Watch, Audible's offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. They have plenty of Blizzard's audiobooks available for that free 30-day download. If you'd like to check that out, go to blizzardwatch.com slash audible and give the free trial a go. If you have any questions for the next episode of Lorewatch, please feel free to email us at podcast at blizzardwatch.com and put Lorewatch in the subject line so that we know that it's intended for this show. Thanks so much, you guys, for listening, and we will see you in two weeks. 